Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Are you ready for the new blood covenant? Are you ready for the new blood covenant? Third chapter, verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Image. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The same what? Same image. Same what? We just talked about images, didn't we? We talked about imaginations. We talked about the power and ability to produce a mental picture of something without really the reality of it appearing in the sense realm. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen, they're temporal, but the things that are not seen, they're what? Eternal. Well, we are changed from glory to glory, even into the same image, the image of our Lord and the image of our God from glory to glory by the Spirit of our God. And we talked about the ability to see something in the mental realm, conceive it in the spirit realm, to give birth to it in the natural realm. Now, I don't know about you, but what good is it going to church, learning the Bible, if we can't have practical experience in everyday life, learn how to use the power of God's Word in everyday living so that we can live a successful, victorious life in this world. What good is it? I believe that if you're in business, God wants you to be a success. I believe if you're whatever you are and whatever you do, God wants you to be a success. We're not learning just to learn the Bible. We are learning how to appropriate God's Word in our lives every day. For too long it's been that the church is just religion, religious formalities. You go there. You get a little bit out of it. You feel good. Praise God. Then you go home. That's not what God wants. He wants us to learn how to apply in everyday living His Word to everyday circumstances and be victorious Grab a hold of His power. Grab a hold of His glory. Be changed into the image of His Son. Defeat the devil. Walk on His head and just live a victorious life. Amen. That's what He wants us to do. And you know where that starts? It starts at Calvary. It starts at Calvary. I want to pick up tonight the new blood covenant. And I want to use what we talked about in the area of faith, the image, the conception, and the bringing forth, the giving birth, so that we can begin to see what Jesus did for us so that we can be changed into that same image and appropriate everything that Jesus did for us on Calvary in our everyday lifestyle. And unless we see it, you'll never be able to do it. 
You want to know how to stay healthy? You want to know how to be successful? You want to know how to avoid calamity? See, all these things have been provided for us in God's Word. The key is not more knowledge, but the key is knowing how to use the knowledge that you already have, putting it to use in everyday living, everyday life. So if you'll turn with me to Galatians, the third chapter, go to Ephesians, the second chapter. We'll save you some work. Aren't you a living epistle of the living Christ, known and read of all men? That's what I thought. So that's why I'll just quote to you some scriptures and you can look them up later. Amen? Now, the Bible tells us, we've been talking about the Abrahamic covenant and I believe your brains have had a sufficient rest. Right? Amen? You ready for some more material? Ready to put something to use? Get your faith going? Get changed into that glory? Okay? Let's get set. Ready? Go. We're ready. Ephesians, the second chapter. We found out that the law was added for what purpose? It was a schoolmaster to lead them to Christ, right? Okay. We found out that the time of the adoption has come and when the servants were supposed to take on the adoption of sonship and heirship, the Jews sold their birthright and the Gentiles got in on it. We found that out. When the fullness of time was come, God sent His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem them that were under the law so that they can have this inheritance, so that they could be birthed into the family of God. But we also found out that they did not receive what God had for them. Now, in this scripture, in Ephesians, the second chapter, let's begin reading at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. Underline that. Even the law of commandments. Now the law of commandments, the law was added to be a teacher, the tutor to teach them unto Christ, to bring them unto Christ. But you see, when the fullness of time was come and they were to be adopted, then the tutor, the pedagogue, the tutor, the governor, was no longer needed. Now, in case you're lost, I'm talking about Jewish adoption. See, the, the Jewish children were under schoolmasters or teachers, what they call the pedagogue. And although the child was a son, it was only considered a servant if it was just a child under age. And this teacher would teach that child until a certain time appointed of the father. And then the father would adopt his own child into his own family. And the child would become an heir of all things. Well, spiritually speaking, this time has come that that was supposed to happen. The Jews were servants of God. Israel was the house of God, but they were servants. And they were about to be adopted into the family of God. And the law is about to be removed just like the governor, the tutor. Anyone, maybe you had your kids tutored, you know. But once the child grew and understood and was capable of learning in, in greater depth, then the tutor was no longer needed. And it was set aside. Now, here we see Jesus having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So Jesus abolished the ordinances, and in Colossians we'll see it a little bit clearer, verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now go to Colossians, the second chapter, and verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, we have to see the cross. Jesus nailed the law and the ordinances to Calvary. That's how he removed the tutor, the governor, the pedagogue. It was taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. And at this time, when this happened, he nailed that to the cross, set it aside. That's when the Israelites, the Jews, were in no longer need of a governor or a tutor because now the real thing, the real birth, was going to come. They were going to be legally adopted into the family of God. That's what he's been waiting for all these years. But it's not yet come because... They wouldn't accept it. And so he had to turn aside and go to the Gentiles. And you know the story. But now here we see Jesus. He's on the cross. Not only does he nail to that cross the law and the ordinances, but he fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. He becomes sin on the cross. Now what I want you to begin to do, I want you to have practical application of this. This is, this is so important that we begin to see and understand this I'm going to take it very slow from here on in. Very slow. Because this is where your foundation is built. Right here. We'll begin to see Jesus now. All the old covenant was pointing towards Jesus. The cross. Calvary. And all that it would mean. And all that it would do. Now we've come to Calvary. Now your success lies in the image you have of Calvary. Whatever image you have is the image you'll be changed into. Some people have an image that Calvary only stands for the remission of sins. That's all. They don't have the image of Jesus taking their sickness, so consequently, they don't enjoy the blessing of health and healing. Some just don't have the image that Jesus became poor so that they might become rich, and so they have a poor self-image in the area of finances, and they think they have to be poor. Well, they're going to be changed into that image. Some people have the image that Jesus did not die for their calamity, but He did on Calvary. So if they have a poor image of Calvary, what kind of image are they going to be changed into? And so we want to establish a perfect picture. We want to paint a perfect picture on the canvas of your heart as to what Calvary represents. I hear them crying out, Let's go back to Calvary. Hallelujah, I agree. We're going back. We're going to find out. We're going to produce and paint a perfect picture, a perfect image as to what Calvary truly represents for the believer in everyday life. Okay? Now, Joshua was told, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Its counterpart in the New Testament is Colossians 3.16 that tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let's stop there. I said this morning, 
This is not referring to going to every meeting in sight. It's not referring to going to every seminar, hearing every teacher, every radio program, every television broadcast concerning the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. We can get in a, in a actually a traditional, a ritualistic thing by just going, hearing preachers here, hearing this, that sermon there, this message here, that seminar, this radio broadcast, that thing. We can get involved in that in such a way that actually... We neglect the meditating of God's Word for ourselves. I don't want somebody else's lifestyle. I want God dealing with me. You are a unique individual. I'm a unique person. God's going to use you as you are. Just as you are. And He's going to do in your life everything He's capable of doing according to the ability within you. He's going to use your personality. He's going to use your character. He's going to use everything you represent and stand for. Because you are an individual and he loves you. But too often times I've heard preachers say, and if I name this one, you'd know who he is, but I won't name him. He said, I follow, I try to follow Kenneth Copeland. He tried to follow Kenneth Copeland. He says, I tried to do everything Kenneth Copeland did. He says, finally, I became a flat failure. You know why? Because he wasn't Kenneth Copeland. Can you say amen? Try to imitate and do everything that he did. I never, I've never done that. I can honestly declare and say to you people, I didn't know they made tapes. You talk about being in the backwoods. I came from the backwoods. I didn't even know they made cassette tapes. When I first started walking this walk, I didn't know a lot of things. I told you I didn't know they, I didn't know they fell under the power. I didn't know that God did a lot of things that He does in Pentecostal churches. All, I, I didn't know that they made cassette tapes that you can get learning and teaching from. All I had was me, myself, and I, and the Holy Ghost, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the Word of God. That's all I had. That's all I had. And He used me just as I was. That's it. Then try to copy somebody else and begin to develop in what he had shown me. You know, when he shows it to you, it becomes more real to you. That's why a lot of people in the body of Christ are, are failing in their walk of faith because they're trying to look up and see somebody else and how they're living and pattern their life after them. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for your life. We could learn, take it and learn it. But don't get caught up in where all you're doing is listening to tapes and everything else and not having a personal relationship with God, your Father. That does not replace that personal relationship. Listening to tapes is fine to get information and to learn. But bless God, you've got to have a personal relationship, fellowship with the Father God, with the Holy Spirit in your own personal life in order to walk victoriously in this earth, in everyday life. Your relationship. Brothers and sisters, when I preach this message of faith, I'm not preaching somebody else's message. I have lived what I'm preaching. Actually, I am preaching what I practice. And when I came here, I started preaching what I was practicing. That's, it. That's exactly what I did. I started preaching what I was practicing and doing in my everyday life because it was working for me. And I guarantee you that the Holy Ghost taught me, not anybody else. The gospel that I have learned, I did not learn of man. I can say the same thing Paul did. I didn't learn. I thank God for all the help, but it was the Holy Ghost that taught me all these fundamental principles before I ever knew who all these other teachers were. And I thank God for that. But I have, you know, availed myself to what they have learned. I've incorporated into my learning, my teaching. Thank God for all that. But I have not neglected my personal relationship with the Holy Spirit as my teacher. You know, and sometimes if you get caught up into that, you can neglect that. And you don't produce a self-image of you and Him. You produce a self-image of somebody else in Him. See? And we don't want that. We want to avoid that. So we're going to start right here at Calvary. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
And what I'm talking about is you're meditating God's Word for yourself. Success comes when the individual meditates God's Word. The same Word. You can take Isaiah 53 and you can meditate that for six months and I guarantee you, you'll be blessed out of your boots if you did it. Don't try to learn all these things. Go, just take one scripture, one passage of scripture. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now listen, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Sad. No beauty that we should desire. He's talking about Jesus. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. You think you've been rejected. No one's been rejected like Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with sickness, malady, calamity, anxiety, grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Talking about the Jews. See, Isaiah is painting a picture. He was despised and we esteemed him not, but surely, absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, he bore my sicknesses. Diseases, calamity, anxiety, worries, fears, and carried my pains. Hallelujah. See, keep saying it and start seeing it. Surely. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. Can you see it? And with his stripes, I am healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every man turned to his own way. We have turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that includes me. You see the picture? It paints a picture. You begin to see it. Now, we're going to see it in greater depth as we go along in this study. But it's not my intention now to start giving you all kind of information. If you believe it's possible, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down. But we're going to paint graphic pictures of what you need to know to reap the benefits of what the Master has done. Paint the pictures. If you shut off everything for a while, all your tapes, all your learning... And just turn them off. Turn off the radio, all the broadcasts. And if you shut yourself in and just start saying what I just said and start seeing what I just quoted, seeing it and making a mental picture of it, getting an image of it, you'll begin to see as you conceive it into your spirit that the calamities, the maladies, the sicknesses, the diseases will begin to leave. They'll leave your body. I've done it. I did it. The devil just tried to attack me recently. And I just said, I'm going to lay back. I'm just going to take Isaiah 53. And all I'm going to do is say it. And I begin to say it. And I got caught up in it. I began to think it. Meditate it. Begin to see Jesus. Yeah, Calvary on that cross. What does that cross represent to you? Get an image of it. Like I said, don't try to find all these scriptures. Remember, I, I, I gave the testimony this morning. Maybe some of you weren't here because I didn't do it in the first service. I'll, I'll repeat it again just to share with you what I'm saying. 
Brother Cho was talking to a dear sister who had cancer, you know, on her throat. She could hardly speak. And so uh, she came to him and he couldn't do anything to help her. See, people think the man's going to help. Don't come to man. Man can't help you, but God can help you through man. And so he couldn't get to her. He couldn't get her to see herself delivered and healed. Of course, like people today, they go everywhere to try to get it. But you see, they're just not going to get it because they've got to get along with God to get it. They've got to see Jesus nailed to the cross to get it. And there's no substitute for that. None whatsoever. And so he finally, as he was going to give up, he said, the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, tell her to go up on the mountain. They have a prayer mountain in a cave. Go up there for seven days in the cave and tell her to take a notebook and write down 10,000 times, by his stripes, ye are healed. By his stripes, you were healed. By his stripes, you were healed. 10,000 times. And after every time you write it, say it. After every time you write it, say it. After every time you write it, say it. That could become obnoxious. But if you was dying from cancer, it wouldn't be so obnoxious, would it? If it can heal somebody, you know what it would do for you if you kept on saying it while you was healthy? Hallelujah. So she kept on saying it, writing it, saying it, writing it, saying it. Seven days in a prayer in a cave. Seven days writing it and saying it. And she got so engrossed into that thing, she just kept writing it and saying it. Finally, after the seven days was up, she had it written 10,000 times. She came back so proud as a peacock. Came to Dr. Cho and said, Dr. Cho, I've, I've done it. I've written it out. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all done. And she was talking real strong. He said, where's your cancer? And it hit her. It was gone. It was gone. Disappeared. Where did she go? Nowhere. Got along with God. Shut out the world. Took one scripture. One scripture. One. And she kept saying it and writing it saying it, let not the word depart from before your eyes and keep it in your... They are life unto those that find them and health unto all their flesh. It's just a matter of being a doer. That's all it is. One scripture. See, some people just get it quicker and easier than others. That's why we get, you know, you get some success. But some, you see, they just get all tied up on everything else. You can't... When you're dealing with your life, friends, we can't... You know, people's lives are centered around this world system's things. I'd like to get into some of these things, but I mean, we can't let these other things take our time so that they control our mind and control our thinking and control our images and imaginations and leave Calvary alone. Take that scripture. Take Isaiah 53. Begin to say it. Write it. Say it. All the things that it represents. And it's going to change your whole life. If you have trouble with healing, you begin to see Jesus becoming sickness for you, you'll get healed. Keep saying it, meditating it. If you're in business, same thing. You see your store as a success. You see it as a success. You see yourself meeting the needs of people. You see yourself being a blessing to people that come. I guarantee you, if you see it, it'll be a success. God didn't design any failures in His body. You'll be a success. You'll be successful in your business. You'll be successful in anything that you do. You've got more on your side than on, on the devil's side. But you see, you've got to get an image to be changed into that image. And the best image you'll ever get is Jesus resurrected.
glory. Right on Mount Transfiguration, see Him in all His glory, and me and you being changed day by day into that glory. How? That's how. You get the image, you see it, you start to say it. I am holy. I am spotless. I am blameless before Him in love. And you begin to say it. Don't try to get a thousand different subjects in the Bible. Take one subject. I, I did this when I was in Tulsa. My wife and I made a quality decision that we will be lovers, God's lovers. We're going to walk in, in God's love as much as possible. This is the desire of our heart. And so, day and night, by day, by night, by day, by night, we quoted. That's how I learned the, the love chapter. Actually, I didn't start out to learn any of these things, you know, to impress somebody. Well, you can quote scripture. I, didn't, I never did try to do that. But the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. And so we had the Bible out, the Amplified Bible of 1 Corinthians 13, chapter verses 4 through 8. And I just kept quoting it by day and by night, by day and by night. And I'd read it with my wife by day and by night, by day and by night, by day and by night. I mean a month, two months, by day and by night, by day and by night. Aren't you getting tired of reading that same scripture? You won't. You won't get tired of reading that scripture. It'll change your life. It'll make you a lover. And faith worketh by love. It'll make you God's lover. It'll set you in a place that you have to pinch yourself to see if you're still alive. I mean that. You won't be affected by criticism when people get on your... That won't affect you. If you keep on saying those scriptures by day and by night, you'll be changing that image. That's what you're talking about. See, the devil, when it comes to the area of sickness or disease or getting out of love, he just paints a picture of sickness or disease. You see yourself sick. You say, but it's really there. It may be, but don't let that image, don't let that imagination overrule and control you. You wipe out that image by the image of Calvary. You look back to the cross. You see Jesus becoming that sickness, that disease for you. And you say it, and you say it, and you say it. How long? 10,000 times. Write it down. 10,000 times, if need be. I'd say the Holy Ghost knew how many times she needed to get it in her heart. What did you say? It may only take you 100. But let me say something else. No matter how many times it takes to get it in your heart, once you get it there, and once your mind gets renewed, your mind doesn't stay renewed. Did you know that? Nugget of truth. Your mind doesn't, your mind's like a computer. You let it go, it forgets. Oh, we may know the scripture, but the, the process of getting into your heart stops. And so you walk away from those healing scriptures and lo and behold, something comes on you and when you need it, it's not there. See, you've got to keep the image before you. Before you. That's what meditation is. That's why it's good to quote it, get it in your heart, because now I don't need to go to, I can go anywhere I'm at and I can quote Isaiah. I can go anywhere I'm at and quote the love chapter because you say it so much it gets inside your heart. You get it inside your heart and bless God once it's in your heart, that's there. It's part of you. It's alive in you, see? So that's what we want to get out of this lesson here that we're starting to get into. So I'm going to go slow because I want you to get it inside you. This is what our whole Christian life is all about. Okay? Number one, on the cross, Jesus became sin. He became sin. Number two, he fulfilled the law and priesthood. The, the law and the Levitical priesthood. Number three, he fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, number four, this isn't really on the cross, but this is during his, because of his death. He pays the penalty for Adam's sin. He pays the penalty for Adam's sin. Number five, he's resurrected 
as the Lord High Priest. Oh, these are goodies. The Lord High Priest. And number six, you ready for it? You're going to love it. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where he ever liveth. I like to put it personal. Where he ever liveth to whisper into the Father's ear for you. Where he ever liveth to start saying some things to the Father. Intercede to the Father for you. Know what he's saying? Know what he's saying? I died for them. I gave them my life. They are righteous. I died for their health and healing. You have to answer their prayer. You have to because I did it for them. See, he's whispering right into the Father's ear. He's interceding for you. They are more than conquerors. Greater is he that's in them, he's in the world. He's whispering those things in the Father's ear. He's interceding for you and for me. Now, all these things are vital and it's necessary to produce a perfect image of what Jesus did for you at Calvary. Once you get this image into your heart, you begin to walk in the victory that He has obtained for you. You begin to walk on all the benefits of what He has obtained for you on Calvary. Okay, He became sin for us. Let's look at 1 Timothy 3.16. That thrilled my heart when I read it. I didn't know that Brother Kenyon wrote this in, the, in here in his book, in his presence, but he did. I found it. I was led one day to look at it and it was just dealing exactly with what I was teaching. And I said, that's a blessing. I, must, I couldn't phrase it any better than he has. So I'm just going to read it to you. Until we know our legal rights in the family of God, we will never become outstanding in our faith life. We should know that the Bible is made up of two legal documents, the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. And that Jesus' death was a legal death to meet humanity's legal needs. And that His sacrifice, His substitutionary work, was accepted by the Supreme Court of the universe. And that man has a legal right to take Jesus Christ as his Savior and confess Him as his Lord, which gives him a legal right to eternal life and the nature of God. Now listen. This makes him a son, the adoption. And as a son, he has a legal right to his father's protection and care. Hallelujah. I've got a legal right to that. Isn't that wonderful? He has a legal right to all that Jesus purchased for him in his redemptive work. He has a legal right to use the name of Jesus in prayer when dealing with demoniacal forces. He has a legal right to the Holy Spirit's indwelling. All the promises and statements of fact in the Word are his. He has a legal right to a perfect redemption from Satan's dominion, from sickness and disease, from poverty and want. He has a legal right to stand in the Father's presence because Jesus has become His legal righteousness. He has legally become the righteousness of God in Christ. He has a legal right to heaven as His home. And this takes prayer out of the realm of doubt and puts it into the realm of absolute certainty. And it's when you understand your two covenants and what Jesus has done for us and you at Calvary, and as he says, it puts prayer out of the realm of doubt into the realm of absolute certainty. It's legal. I know it's got to be. That's what the life of faith is all about. Here in 1 Timothy, 3rd chapter, verse 16, we have an outstanding scripture. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We talked about that in the Abrahamic covenant. Justified in the what? The word justified may, it means just as if. 
Sin had never been. In what? Who was justified in the Spirit? That's some powerful words if it means what I think it means. Why would Jesus have to be justified in the Spirit? Well, we'll find out. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What's this mystery of Him being justified in the Spirit? What's this mystery about God raising somebody from the dead? What's so mysterious about God raising Jesus from the dead? You think He's in another class than Lazarus and some of the others? Or do you think He's uh, in the same class? Or do you think Jesus is in another class? If Lazarus was raised from the dead and Jesus was raised from the dead and they're both in the same class, why didn't Lazarus save us? Why Jesus? What's the difference? They're both a man. Jesus was a man. When he, became, when he became flesh, he became a man. What's the difference? If all it took was a physical resurrection to, to save the human race, anybody that was raised from the dead could save us then. Or at least save himself. But you see, Jesus became sin. Now you've got to paint this picture of Calvary. Jesus became sin on Calvary. Psalm 22 is a graphic picture of the physical sufferings of the Lord. Don't look it up. Write it down. Psalm 22 is a graphic picture of the physical sufferings of our Lord. But Isaiah 53 is a graphic picture of the spiritual sufferings of our Lord. So not only did He die physically, but He also died spiritually. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 for a moment. And when you start teaching this, you get a lot of heads to turn. But I'm going to give you Scripture. I'm not going to give you speculation. I'm going to give you Scripture that perfectly harmonizes with Isaiah 53 and shows you and me, are you ready, that the reason why you don't have to go to hell, the reason why I don't have to go to hell is because Jesus went to hell for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's why you don't have to go there. That's why you could be legally justified. Because what Jesus did you, for you in His substitutionary work, you need not do. Okay, 53rd chapter, verse 10. Here we see that it was Jehovah, look at verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord, Jehovah, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. In other words, that word grief is the same word that's translated sickness and disease. Pain, m m malady, calamity, anxiety. What, as a matter of fact, anybody have an Amplified Bible? What does it say there? Did you hear that? It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief and made him sick. It was not the stripes from the Roman lictor on the back of Jesus that bore our sicknesses. It was Jehovah that bruised him. It pleased Jehovah to bruise him and make him to be sick. In other words, the sickness of the world came on him. The curse came on Jesus as our substitute. It was not the physical stripes on his back, but it was the spiritual stripes that he was struck with that became sickness and disease, you see, for us, spiritually. Okay? When thou shalt make his what? Say it loud. 
an offering for sin. What was made as an offering for sin, his body or his soul? Is there a difference between the body and the soul? Everywhere throughout the Bible, you'll find that when they talk about the soul, actually, there's two ways they do it. They talk about either the spirit and the body, and in greater revelation, spirit, soul, and body. But basically, throughout the Bible, it's soul and body. And if you look it up in your concordances, you'll find out that when it's used soul, it's talking about the innermost part of man, the inner man which is comprised of spirit and soul. It's said that the spirit can be separated from the body, but the spirit and the soul cannot be separated, only distinguished. I'll say that again. The spirit can be separate from, separated from the body, but the spirit and soul cannot. They can only be distinguished. Okay? Because they don't, they don't separate from each other. When, when Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, he was spirit and soul. When the rich man was in hell, he was spirit and soul, but their bodies were on the earth decaying. You follow me? What was made an offering for sin? His body or his soul? His soul, okay? Remember that. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his what? Of his what? And shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is talking about the spiritual suffering of our Lord. Now, go with me to Acts, the second chapter. Now, remember, in our concluding the Abrahamic covenant, we saw the lamb slain. That's all we saw. Remember, the high priest, they, they had, or the priest had cut the lambs, killed them, and caught their blood in a basin. Remember that? So that they can off, the high priest can offer up the, the sacrifice. Okay? But now we see the lamb is only slain. He's killed. He's dead. And of course, they couldn't carry out the Levitical priesthood because the Shekinah glory left the holies of holies. But the lamb of God is now on Calvary and he's dead. But now the lamb slain must be the lamb roasted and the blood applied. We didn't see the lamb roasted yet. We didn't see the blood applied yet. Well, now we're going to take a look at the lamb roasted. Acts 2, 22. It was not his body that was made an offering for sin. The body was the house of the spirit and soul. Isaiah clearly said it was the soul that was made an offering for sin. Correct? 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, was God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God raised up, having loosed the what? The what? Does it say comforts? No, it says pains of death. Keep that in mind. Because it was not possible that he should behold another. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in... Where? It'll do you good to know that that word is Hades. Look in the margin of your Bible. Hades. Mine says Hades. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy uh, with my, thy countenance. Men and brethren... Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us even unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that of the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left where? Isaiah said his soul was made an offering for sin. His soul was not left in where? Again, the word is Hades. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Okay. He's talking about the soul of Jesus. This, again, people have tried to either misinterpret or just disbelieve that Jesus had to go to hell to suffer for sin. But if you follow it through every type and shadow, it's clearly taught and understood through the Bible. Where does the Bible say his soul went to? Okay? Does it say it went to Abraham's bosom? Abraham's bosom was a place of the departed souls of the saints. And when Lazarus was down there, he was comforted, Abraham said. Didn't he say that? It doesn't say he was in pains. He was comforted. But the rich man also died, and in Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in what? Torment. He shall see the travail of his soul. Jesus' soul was not in Abraham's bosom. Jesus' soul was in hell. Hades. Okay? Now stop here again. Some said, well, I thought his spirit went back unto the Father. Hold on. When he appeared to Mary, what did he say? I have not yet ascended unto my Father. Touch me not. So he wasn't in Abraham's bosom. He didn't go back to the Father. Where was he? His soul was made an offering for sin. If that's all I say tonight, it'll get you walking the tightrope. Jesus went to hell for you so that you don't have to go to hell for you. Legal justification. Jesus suffered the pains of Hades so that you don't have to suffer the pains that make you cry. What an awesome thing. He hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? And I'm going to say it in a, be- in a better way so that you can fully understand it. The first Adam was born into death, spiritual death. The second Adam was born out of death. To be a physical raising from the dead would have meant that Jesus would have been like Lazarus and died again. This was not a physical raising from the dead. Look at, with me, Colossians, the first chapter. Verse 18. This will, again, clarify this scripturally. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn. Now, you've got to understand this, born from the what? Well, that would be a lie if, if, if it was just a physical raising. Lazarus was raised from the dead before Jesus was. Jesus raised him out of death. But this is talking about something far greater. This is a new creation. And if you look back now to Acts the 13th chapter, you'll find out that it was at his resurrection that he was born out of death. Look at the 13th chapter, the book of Acts. (coughs) 
Okay, talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Acts 13, 30. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it also as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. In other words, on the day that he was resurrected, he was begotten of God. God gave birth to him. Look at Hebrews, the first chapter. Again, another scripture, another reference will clarify. Verse 5, Hebrews 1, 5. We'll read 5 and 6. For under which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father. Don't you remember he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to, to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. Now, actually, the literal translation is, when he bringeth again the first begotten into the world. He brought him in by the act of, of natural birth through Mary. But his legal birth allowed him to die a legal death of sin. Your sin, my sin. And that legal death of sin gave him legal access into hell where he suffered for that sin. But because he legally put away sin, he was satisfied when he saw the travail of his soul. He legally put away sin. The Father could legally birth him out of death. Oh, hallelujah. Great is the mystery. Now you see why it says great is the mystery? It's no great mystery that God could raise some man from the dead. But this, friends, is a mystery. God took... Now, He created something out of nothing. But that's the first time He recreated something out of death. Because nobody ever came out of death before. That's what it means to be resurrected out of, resurrected out of death. To be recreated is to be born out of death. There is no way. It took 4,000 years to get this process going. Are you ready? You have already been born out of death. We've been born out of death. That's what the new creation is. He is the firstborn from the dead. 120 more on the day of Pentecost. And I don't know where I'm at, but I'm one of them in there. We've been born from the dead. We have been born out of death. We passed out of death into life. He is the lamb slain. He is the lamb roasted. It's awesome. I, I don't want to think about it. The natural mind can't conceive it. As much Scripture as I got, my head says you don't want to believe that. But the Bible says his soul was left I, in hell. I can't change it. I can believe it in my heart. I can see how it has to be. But when you begin to see that your Savior went to hell for you so that you need not go there, boy, it'll make you, as I said, walk the tightrope. It'll make you stand up and say, yes, hallelujah, I'm serving Him with every fiber of my being. I'm serving Him with all I got. He went there so that I don't have to go there. I need not go there. Hallelujah. Firstborn from the dead. Okay? Now, what I want to do is to go back to Isaiah 53rd chapter. And I want you to vividly see now in meditation what He became for you. Because if you'll see what He became for you, 
if you'll meditate what He became for you, if you'll ponder what He became for you, and the more you do it, 10,000 times, 20,000 times, 30,000 times, you get this image, you get this picture, it'll change you into glory. Number one, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely He hath borne my griefs. The word griefs literally means, according to Strong's Concordance, malady, calamity, anxiety, sickness. Surely He hath borne my maladies, calamities, anxieties, sicknesses. Say it with me. Surely He hath borne my maladies, calamities, anxieties, sicknesses. Hallelujah! Well, did He do it? That settles the issue. But that's got to be real in your mind's eye. It's got to be real in your spirit. And when it's real in your mind, spirit, it's real in your body. And carried my sorrows, pains. Hallelujah. He carried my pains and sorrows. Okay? You've got to see that. Over, keep it in the forefront of your mind that He did that. Number two. But He was wounded for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. He became sin for me. You know why? That I need not sin. He became sin. I become righteous. That's why I became sin. Now you've got to see the fact that He became sin for you. He became sin for you. And if He became sin for you to put away sin that I need not be subject to sin. Sin hath no more dominion over me. So it says, but I can't help it. You know why? Because you're not seeing Him become sin for you. If you saw Him in the torments of hell, Hades, for you, and that old sin, as one writer said, where are the faithful that strive on the blood against sin? If I had hell on one side and sin on the other, I'd sooner jump in hell than to sin against my God. Well, that's powerful. But when you see Him suffering the torments of hell for your sin, it'll make you think twice about sinning. I, don't need, I don't need not sin anymore. Oh, we live in such a, a, a dispensation right now, this age right now. Low moral standards. You know, what? Is this, these, are, these are facts. One preacher preached a message on commitment, holiness, and 1,200 people left this church. I mean, they were really on fire for God, weren't they? Where do we take holiness out of the Bible? The Bible says, be holy because I'm holy. How can you take holiness and commitment out of the Bible? You can't. But they wanted their ears itchy. All they wanted to hear was, give me, give me, give me what I can get, boy, and I want it. But when it comes to living holy, be therefore holy. Without holiness, no man shall see. These are all in the Bible. The Bible says eat, well, they had to eat all the lamb, didn't they? All the word. Jesus is the word. His flesh is the, uh, bread indeed. I've got to eat it all. I like the good parts, but you've got to have everything that's in there. Some, sometimes it might be hard to swallow, but that's okay. It'll go down. Chew it long enough. It'll go down. Be holy. Anybody got a problem with being holy? <laughs> you don't want to be holy? Sure you do. 
How many here don't want to be holy? Everybody wants to be holy. What's wrong with preaching holiness? Nothing wrong with it at all. It's part of the Bible. It's God's Word. Be holy for I am holy. He became sin for you so that you need not sin. When am I going to stop sinning? When I see Him as becoming sin for me. When I keep that in the forefront of my mind, conceive it in my spirit, I don't want to do it. I don't want to oppose His will. Okay, number three, the chastisement of my peace was upon Him. You see, go back to Calvary. This is all dealing with the covenant now. Go back to Calvary. See Him there. And if you miss all the... The reason why we've got to slow down because now it's all meditation. If you don't meditate these things, they're lost. You can't get them by hearing them once. You've got to see it and keep it before your eyes. Keep the Word before your eyes. Attend to my words. Incline your ear to what I'm saying. I did that. When they opposed me and said, no, Jesus couldn't have gone to hell, I kept the Word before my eyes. It says it. I gave you Scripture. It says it right there. What more could be said? Follow it in type and shadow. It's all right there. But they couldn't believe it because their mind didn't want to accept it. But I kept my eyes on the Word. And I saw my Savior crucified, died, and went to hell. So I need not go there. Oh, glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The Lamb as He had been slain. Thank you that I need not go to that horrible place of torment because you went there for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. See? Meditation it takes. See these things before your eyes right now. When you see Him as becoming sickness, it'll mean... Sickness and disease won't have a hold on you any longer. But the more real it becomes, the more of that reality is in the natural realm. The more real it becomes in our spirits, the more real it becomes in the natural realm. Now we've got to do it. See, we don't need to learn more. What we need to do is apply what we've learned. Apply what we've learned. Use what we've learned. Meditate it. Keep it strong inside you. Keep that image before you. And you're going to see that Calvary represents everything here. Your mental anguish. That's number three. Your mental anguish. If every person saw Jesus as becoming mental anguish for them, they'd have peace of mind. We would empty every asylum if people saw Jesus becoming their mental anguish. He became mentally tormented. You say, how can you be sure? Are you kidding? He walked on earth and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me always. And I know that thou hearest me always. I'm your son. I always do those things that please you, Father. But on Calvary, at the darkest hour, I heard him cry out something totally contrary to what he ever said in his whole life. Earth life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how the 22nd Psalm starts out. You read that. That man was mangled. Physically. Mentally and spiritually. More so than any man, his visage was so marred, more than any man, they, even his accusers, couldn't look at him. Darkness over the earth. He was so distorted for you and me. You see why we should want to appropriate the blessings? If he did that to obtain that blessing for you, you should give your life wanting to obtain it and walk in it. That's not being selfish. It's being appreciative. I want to be healed because my Savior became sickness for me. I want to have a good mind because He became mental anguish for me. I want to be righteous because He became sin. You see the whole point? For me. Hallelujah. Well, that's the sacrificial lamb. And, and I want you to meditate that. And when we pick it up, I don't know when we're going to pick it up because we're going to have some different kind of services during this week. 
But when we pick it up, we don't leave him there. He resurrected as the Lord High Priest over the New Covenant. Hallelujah! See? Now he fulfills the high priestly office. Not after the Levitical priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek. Ever living to make intercession for you and for me. That's what he did. And we'll talk about that when we pick it up. But right now, what you need to do, stop. Write down those three points. Meditate. Write it down. 10,000 times, Jesus became sin for me that I need not sin. Write it down. 10,000 times, Jesus became sickness, disease, calamity, malady, anxiety for me that I need not be sick, diseased, have any maladies, calamities. Write it down. Jesus became mental anguish for me 10,000 times so that I could have total peace of mind. See, it's not new, something new. People, we go everywhere trying to find something new, some new nugget somewhere. Praise God for new nuggets. But you know what? You can spend more of your time being a follower of the Word than a doer of the Word. You do what I'm saying, it'll just revolutionize. It'll change your whole life. You'll see that your Savior as resurrected, as alive in all His glory, and you'll see yourself in His image, and you'll be changed into that image. It's not new revelation, friends. It's taking what you got and putting it in and using it. And that's what we're going to do in this prayer and fasting. We're just going to pray. How long are we going to pray? We're going to pray until glory falls. It's in me, but it's going to fall all around us. We've got the power to do that. Let's all stand before the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.